Hello and welcome to our podcast on the spot. Thank you for being here with us today. My name is Debbie and we are so excited to get to talk to you today about such an important issue, teen pregnancy. I have with me here my co-host Kylie. Hey. Navinka. Hi. And Preston. Hey, what's up? Thanks, Davey. No problem. I am so ready to dive into our conversation today. I really think the issue of teen pregnancy is just not talked about as much as it needs to be. Um, What do we have in store today? Yeah, we're going to get into some statistics um, surrounding this issue, looking at the difference between black teen pregnancy and white teen pregnancy. Um, Then I think we're going to talk about some stereotypes uh, that surround this issue within our society, and then also a little bit about how this is portrayed in the media. Yes. Okay, so I have a little game for us to play today. It's a game of true or false. So this is what's going to happen. I'm going to read some statements, and all three of you will respond if you think it is true or false, and this will drive our discussion for today. Awesome. Okay, so our audience here listening with us, you can also play along. So here we go. Number one, drugs are the leading reason that teen girls drop out of school. So, considering our podcast today is about teen pregnancy and also just my background knowledge, I'm going to guess that that is false. Yeah, I would also have to agree. I think that me just knowing you, uh, you're going to pull something about teen pregnancy. So, there's no way it can be about drugs because that is not our conversation for today. That would be awkward. Well, I'm not going to disagree. I'll, I'll go with the, the false. So ding, 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 all of y'all are correct, okay? Parenthood is the leading reason that teen girls drop out of school. More than 50% of teen moms never graduate from high school, actually. So wow. that's more. I know. I think that also has something to do with the fact that, like, once girls, young girls get pregnant, they're, like, really pressured to drop out of school. And that also has to do with the fact that, like, a lot of schools don't provide them with the accommodations to deal with being pregnant and also, like, balancing schoolwork and getting an education. Very I completely true. agree. Very true. On to the next one. All right. Less than 30% of teen moms earn a college degree by age 30. Mm, Well, 30% is a good amount. But considering the fact that you said that almost half or more than half don't even graduate high school, I'm going to think that that's too high of a percentage. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know. I think that... I think it's possible that I think true. I'm gonna go with true. Nice. I just have a feeling. I mean, yeah, there is a possibility that they like drop out of high school and later pursue a college degree. True, true. I don't know with a with online school and the way that that's been going. I'm gonna agree with Preston and say that um, more than thirty percent of teen moms earn a college degree. So okay, awesome. All right, so the answer is actually false. Less than two percent of teen wow. moms wow. actually earn a college degree by 30 years old. Can you believe that? Thir- 2%? That's that's, that's so little. That surprises me, honestly. Right? I mean, like, they have to balance their the, their new life as a mother. That is true. With such little, like, I honestly couldn't even imagine like, having a child right now and Literally. going to classes. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, honestly. It does. All right, so the next one. The United States has one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in the Western industrialized world. That one I have to say is true, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't really know. I I could see this going either way. Uh, It wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but I also think, I feel like there's other places around the world that are a little bit less developed that this issue could be more prevalent, but... I mean, mm. she did say in the Western industrialized world, I guess. I mean, 
honestly, ever since I was a kid, like, literally in, like, middle school, they would show us videos about, like, stay away from sex. <laughs> That's true. Don't get pregnant. So I'm going to think that right. they did that since it's, like, such a big issue. Yeah, okay. All right. Then, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I'll say true, too. It is true. Canada actually has a tea pregnancy that is one half that of the U.S. Wow. Oh, my God. I know. Canada disparity. For real. Canada needs to teach us their way. Onward to the next. So in 2011, the teen birth rate in the U.S. fell to the lowest level record recorded in nearly 70 years of tracking teen bearing. Is this true or false? Yeah, I would say that's true. Um, I just think that with the increase of education in women and sexual education, that we have had a lot of decrease in teen pregnancy, but that's going to be my guess. So true. I'm going to agree with that as well, Um, along with the fact, um, along with the movement towards reproductive justice, people are having more access to contraceptives. But I mean, Mm -hmm. there's still the conversation about like who's getting this access to sex ed and contraceptives. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had to consider that. But like as a nation, I would say... I would agree with the statement that the rates have gone down. Good guess. Yep, I agree too. Y'all are correct. So there was an 8% decline in teen pregnancy between 2011 and 2012, and it continues to decrease yearly. All right, y'all, that's all the game that we have for today. So I'm going to talk about the discussion about teen pregnancy and how there's so many facets that we need to consider. So teen pregnancy is defined as when a woman under 20 gets pregnant, Mm -hmm. and usually this is between the ages of 15 and 19. Imagine getting pregnant between those ages. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. I was just, I don't know. I was playing with Legos or something. I'm literally 18 right now. (laughs) Oh, my God. I turned 20 in July, so I'm I'm barely, (laughs) barely out of it. You beat teen pregnancy. Woo! Um, so the Pew Research uh, Center states that there has been a steady decline from about 42 births per 1,000 girls in 2008 to less than half of that today. So we are making progress. Um, however, even though uh, teen pregnancy is declining, it does not mean that it isn't still a circumstance you know, that causes financial and economic and social hardships on the women and the children experiencing it, especially black teens. Mm-hmm. According to the CDC... Georgia has averaged to about 20 births per 1,000 girls. But when looking at the number of teen births by race and ethnicity, the amount of teen births per 1,000 black girls increases to about 24, while the amount of births per 1,000 girls, white girls, is about 15. So that's nearly 63% less compared to black girls. That's crazy. I know. Like, can you believe that? 62% less. What accounts for such a large disparity? I mean... Is it just, you know, education or like... Because I think a lot of people argue that it's their culture when obviously that's there's so much more and it's very rarely related to that. Very true, very true. Those are That's an excellent question. To begin with, the racial disparities regarding teen pregnancy are often a cause and a result of poverty and a complex combination of societal factors including inadequate sex education. Poverty rates for black teens are nearly twice that than that of white teens. Black teens that are poor or live in rural areas are less likely to have access to quality health care and contraceptive services. Gail Wyatt um, is a clinical psychologist and a sex researcher at UCLA, and they assert that they are also much more likely to live in neighborhoods where jobs and opportunities for growth are limited. I think we can even pull into this that there is a bigger issue to be said of just this 
systemic racism. Definitely, definitely. And that's really where the issue comes in of, you know, most of these towns in the South used to be mill towns. Mm -hmm. And the entire point of living in these mill towns were to, you know, complete high school, work at the mill, have a factory job, and, you know, that's all you do. You would marry your high school sweetheart right out of high school. Um, and I think that's just one thing that when the mills left, the um, just the differences of how life worked really didn't stop. So I feel like the norm for a lot of these places is just to continue, um, oh, high school, and then we're going to get right. married. Some technology. Yeah, poverty plays you know a really big role in high teen birth rates, um, like uh, systemic racism, which you mentioned, contributes a lot to that, which is why black teens, you know, have a higher teen pregnancy rate than white teens. Yeah, another thing um, I think is important to mention is thinking about how the trend is that, um, at least right now, that if you're born into poverty or into these cultures that we're talking about, then it, it it's like tends to show that you're probably going to stay like in, in that type of environment. All right, and then kind of going off of that, another point I think we could talk about is, is looking at in these areas, um, the quality of sex education in schools plays a big role in um, you know, how the rest of yes, um, right. people yes, would yes. make their decisions. Because you're in a low-income area, so that means schools aren't being funded enough, and then obviously the education is lacking. Yeah. Very true. I do have a point right here. Um, I really think that going back to what um, Debbie said earlier, about um, just the statistics looking at Georgia and how um, there's a difference between teen births between black and white girls. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I think in Atlanta and something that I've seen in Atlanta has been that there's a lot of public um, funding and private funding for education. And there are some areas, I would say, in North Metro Atlanta that do have the demographics to have higher populations of mm. white people right and that means they do have like higher funding and their schools are better sure. and everything's better mm. but then when you kind of go into the south or like different areas that where the demographics are um not as densely populated with white people then the education really does start to lack and i feel like that's a lot of times where that number comes in is one just kind of the culture of that it's a lot of people um you know you grow up where you come from and you go back there after high school or college versus Atlanta is big on, you know, you, your parents are the first to be in Atlanta and then they move somewhere else. And so it's less people who are really just living there. Yeah, that's a great point that you make. Um, Southern states actually, including Georgia, actually tend to be poor, which um, also report the highest number of teen births. So that is a great point that you make. Um, also, that reminds me, since we're talking about sex education, have y'all seen the show Sex Education on Netflix? I, I have not. Yeah, I, I barely made it through oh. the first episode. It was it's a very little graphic. graphic. <laughs> yes, it's very graphic. It's, it takes a while to get used to, but I think it's totally worth it in the end because it is such a phenomenal show. Like, I wish I had this show when I was in middle school right. or in high school because it's so, it's so good. So this show actually shows that um, it, it's proven by many other studies too, but by teaching abstinence, it is actually not effective because it does not delay sexual mm -hmm. initiation. Neither does it even risk the sexual risk of behaviors like that. So I'm pretty sure in middle school, like in my like health class, they made us like sign like a contract, like <laughs> I won't have sex before marriage or something. Oh so, my gosh! Yeah, it was what? like a, it was like or not like a contract, <laughs> but like a little like promise to like your older self or something. Oh, a hundred percent. No, yeah. I so I grew up wow. um, in Georgia, um, in Griffin, Georgia. It's about an hour south of Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, and. You know, it's the Bible Belt. 
Um, I am a Christian, and so my parents practice Christianity, so I went to church. And um, one thing that I did when I was younger, and looking back, it's kind of fucked up, but (laughs) um, I actually had to go through training in order to obtain a purity ring. And this started when I was about nine years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it started when I was about nine years old, and then when I turned 13, so right before I actually got my period or right when I got my period, um, I had already obtained a purity ring, and I had to make this pledge. And I remember having this, like, moral dilemma with myself just kind of growing up of, you know, it was a sin to have these sexual urges. It was a sin to act on sexual urges. And it wasn't until I would say like late high school and college where I just kind of, you know, reevaluated my faith and reevaluated like this position, but it was instilled like the fear of sex was instilled into me and abstinence was the only form of birth control that we were taught and that many people around me were taught. And I know that really did, you know, stunt our growth sexually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that that's just something that really is instilled, especially in the Bible Belt and those who do practice Christianity here at least in my church, like, mm-hmm. we just had such a, you know, distorted view of sexual mm-hmm. urges, and I'm a bisexual woman, and yes. even acting on that was really challenging for me, just yes. because I was going into, you know, I would I would have, like, friends who were women, and yeah. I would be super into them, right. and, like, not in the normal, like, hey, you know, let's hang out <laughs> way, and I just felt like it was just this whole dilemma, and I think a lot of times that does mess things up, yes. whether it be... Um, you know, you want to be rebellious and act out against them, um, or just all of these different things. So exactly, yeah, that is a big exactly. thing with like young teens is like using sex kind of as like an act of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, in my school, at least they did teach us about contraceptives and like if you're gonna have sex, like have safe sex. I guess not. They didn't really emphasize that as much. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and I'm from like a suburb like north of Atlanta, but in Atlanta itself, I feel like a lot of schools probably like barely even go into that at all which is why you have like higher rates of teen pregnancy in those areas that is very true like my high school didn't even show you how to put on a condom so like how (laughs) how do they expect that's kind of necessary (laughs) literally literally the first time i saw like a demonstration of how to put on a condom was in college it was actually my freshman year here at georgia tech when they when they had and like one of the programs that the RAs throw was like a like let's talk about sex or whatever and they brought in like a demonstration they had a penis you know a a penis (laughs) model and they put on the condom that was the first time i saw how to put on a condom i was like wow like what what am i missing like you know Yeah. yeah i definitely think that that just is something that has really um messed up how women view their bodies and view pregnancy and all these different things the whole construct of you know virginity and stuff but that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) i could talk about this all day right but anyway so back to the point i feel like of really what this is about teen pregnancy um like i said i'm from griffin georgia it is about an hour hour and a half south if uh I think it is the southernmost point of metro Atlanta, even though we are, like, disrupted by 75, and I don't mm. consider it metro Atlanta, but mm-hmm. I think it technically counts. Um, and we have one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in Georgia of 55 for 1,000 births mm. being wow. from teenagers. And then the neighboring county of Jackson, Georgia, which is actually where my house is closest to, mm. is the highest, has the highest teen pregnancy rate in Georgia with 78 Wow. Out of a thousand births oh being from goodness. teenagers, mm-hmm. um, and I have family from Jackson, and um, specifically, I have a cousin who is my age. She is a African American woman who graduated um, in twenty twenty, so COVID year. 
Okay. And <laughs> she had a baby when about a month after she graduated from high school. Mm. And I recently had the chance to sit down and talk to her about, you know, her pregnancy and just kind of what she faced as an African-American woman Mm -hmm. being pregnant. And she said, you know what? Um, When I walked into class pregnant, when I told my family I was pregnant, I wasn't really met with much backlash. It was more from people who didn't know me or didn't understand me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She felt like her issues and her insecurities about being a pregnant teen really came from people who did not understand, like, her situation. You know, she said her mom had her at 15. Her grandmother had her mom at 15. Mm -hmm. And so she was actually doing a solid by at least graduating high school. And... um, she just felt like a lot of times that people who didn't understand kind of where she was from and her home life really just kind of casted a shadow of doubt on her and were like, of course, you know, you're just another, a pregnant girl. And she felt so, you know, disheartened. Um, she said with the like social media, just kind of leaving these nasty comments in her mouth Mm -hmm. and yeah. And it, it just kind of made me really sad because I love Ashanti and I love her baby Gianna. Um, and <laughs> I just absolutely, it breaks my heart that she was, you know, treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. But one point that she wanted to make when I was asking her about her pregnancy was that it was really difficult coming into um, talking to white family members Mm. who also had teen pregnancies. You know, like my grandmother had my father at 14. My aunt had my cousin at, uh, I think she was 15 or 16. Mm. And yeah, and they're both white people. And when she was telling them, um, like, hey, I'm pregnant Uh (laughs) and I'm, you know, 18, I'm graduating from college. I mean, from high school, and she was talking, and she just felt so, like, unseen, and it was like, yeah, of course, and she just felt like, not even from my family, but just from different white people who maybe maybe had, like, the exact same situation happen to them, she felt like she was being portrayed as, like, yeah. just another pregnant black teen. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, like, in I, your town, it's the norm, but of yeah. course, like, your town, there's probably, like, a good amount of white people, and, like, when they're getting pregnant, it's, like, seen as, like, okay, like as usual but like Mm -hmm. she gets a specific sort of like backlash and like resentment when she because of the color of her skin a hundred percent and that actually leads me into my next point of you know representation in the media Mm -hmm. so starting in the like late 1970s early 1980s um ronald reagan kind of ran this war on welfare Mm -hmm. um it was his campaign he was running to you know kind of rejuvenate the government and the economy and wanted to eliminate and kind of redistribute programs that help people in need. And Mm. in this, he portrayed this um, woman as a welfare queen. Right. Have any of you heard that term? Yes. Okay. So for those of you who don't know who are listening, a welfare queen is a derogatory term used primarily against black women to refer to women who allegedly misuse or collect excessive welfare payments through fraud, child endangerment, or manipulation. Um, Reporting on welfare fraud really did start in the 1960s, but the trope of the welfare queen, which is something we still hear about today, whether it's referred specifically to as the welfare queen or not, um, is something we still see today. And it was primarily used to harm black women in the media, um, and kind of put this scare on the government and just kind of like, hey, we need to get rid of these government programs. All these black women are misusing them. 
yeah. which was not the case. Exactly. Um, there actually was a study done in 1999 at Harvard University by um, Dr. Gilliam Jr., and he talked about representation of black mothers in the media mm-hmm. compared to white women mm. and the welfare queen stereotype as well. In 62% of poverty stories that appeared in Time, Newsweek, in the New- U.S. News and World Report featured African-American women. Mm, um, so the majority of people who are being represented for impoverished, like in poverty and just all that stuff were African-Americans when that truthfully did not represent the statistics. Exactly. Mm. Um, fewer African-Americans were portrayed in sympathetic stories about poverty and welfare, but... of network television news stories about welfare featured African-Americans. And that just continued to drive home this point of welfare queen and this negative stereotype that Mm -hmm. still lingers of you're just taking advantage of the system when that's not true because the system has not been there to help these women. Exactly, exactly. Like the only way you can address the disparity in the statistics regarding like teen pregnancy is to actually put real money into these communities, like helping their schooling, their housing, everything like that. Exactly. Um, I think that study you're talking about, is that the one where like he showed um, the participants like a picture of a young black mom and then a young uh, white mom and like, the assumptions made about the black mom were that like she's single like she's on food stamps things yes. like that and then like when they saw like the young white mother they assumed that she like they called her like brave like motherly um caring things like that is that yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly the study I, yeah. i'm talking about it I was insane thing, yeah. just most of the people participants in the study without even thinking had these um biases mm-hmm. wow. and they assumed that I mean, it was plain clothing. Mm. So it was that factor was taken away. It was plain clothed mothers, same age. Wow. They assumed that the black woman was impoverished. They assumed she was, she had, she was more likely to commit welfare fraud. She was a single mother. Right. And then for the white woman, they used positive um, adjectives of, "Wow, she's so brave. Wow, she's so, like, she's so pretty. She's probably got good money. Mm-hmm. She's smart." When it solely was a picture of two yeah. women in yeah. plain clothing. and That's crazy. Yeah, I think this bias just truthfully <laughs> runs deep, and this was proven in the study. Um, when talking, like, that reminds me of something. When talking about teen pregnancy in the media, have y'all seen that show 16 and Pregnant? I actually yep. never watched those. I've like, heard of it, but like, I On MTV, it. I believe, right? It made me feel weird. <laughs> I, I 100% know. binge-watched it on Netflix. I, I have read yes. to watch it. Like, it's just, I don't know. I, I noticed that, like, at least the shows that I watched, because I, I think I watched it quite often, but I noticed that they only, like, portrayed white teen yes, women. I did hear about that controversy. Yeah. yeah I thought like that they, was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, how they, like, because, like, the experience between black teen women and white teen women, like, are very different. And they, yes. like, they, they kind of portrayed that in the show. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was interesting how they never showcased, you know, a black teen woman, you know? Why yeah. do you think, like, that is? Like, what does that highlight? I 100% think, yes. and this is just me going back to, like, the media and what we just saw in this study that I just referenced, is a lot of times people try to give white women an excuse for mm. their shortcomings I in see. quotes. So um, it's like they're giving them a platform. Yeah, they're giving like, you a platform to speak. They're understanding um, your story. Like, hey, what's your situation? We know, like, you, a, a successful white woman, when, yeah. like, most of these True. women, like, mm. did have parents who had them at 16. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was the same situation of, this is my normal. It's not that crazy to me. Like, yeah. of 
let's give you a platform to be understood and grow. And most of these girls like literally still have a social media following and are making millions a year from brand deals. And that's just, they never gave that platform to a black mother. Yeah. When it's like a young black girl getting pregnant, like they get the cold shoulder, like, yeah, it's kind of like, it's like, it's misogynoir and racism at play. Right. Right. And, and and also anti-blackness, like they don't show these black women in media. Mm hmm. There's a point I was going to bring up earlier, um, <clears throat> just kind of like a, a another story example from my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm from Valdosta, which is mm. down in South Georgia, mm-hmm. and just kind of talking about the differences on how people view these teen pregnancies mm. based on race. I have a I have a friend. He's my age. We grew up together. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up. He's now married to a girl that went to our high school. He, she's our age too, mm-hmm. and she had a baby. And what is your age, just for the people I'm, listening? Sorry, yes, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm 19, about to be 20. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she had a she had a baby when she was sixteen, mm. um, and like the dad left, and she's white and he's white, okay. um, mm. and like I, I talked to him about it one time, and he said um, it was just so interesting how he talked about his experiences and how mm. um, I mean I I didn't really know how to approach that, but after we talked, it was very much like supportive. Mm. Her her family like took her back in. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. parents like like kept care of the baby sometimes it wasn't even his baby but um it it was very different than a lot of the things that Mm -hmm. we've talked about and all all these things and issues i think that that just kind of is a supporting point that like there are places in this country that um it's blaringly obvious that like if you're white and you have a kid it's okay because i mean there are also plenty of conversations and and horrible comments that i've heard throughout my life about like black black teens in my town becoming pregnant and whether or not that's normal for you on age or whatever, um, it still just goes to show the stereotype that, that is in place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I actually have a story similar to Preston's. So um, I just told the story of my cousin who is a black girl, and I could tell a million stories about girls that walked into my class, both white and black, who um, were pregnant. And it was so normal to walk in your first day of sophomore year and sit next to a girl who's going to have a baby at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. Um But specifically, I do want to touch on this point where um, there was this girl in my hometown. She was a few years older than me. Um, She was from, like, a a good family, you know. I mean, her family were still together is, I guess, what I mean by that. And Mm -hmm. um, she goes off to college and, at 18, is pregnant. She comes back and has the baby around age 19. And, I mean, she is just a warrior. Mm -hmm. Um, She got more following on social media. She was viewed as great. Like, she was so... Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, they absolutely just... They, there was an white. Instagram... Yeah, she's the white girl. <laughs> uh, and so there's like a, a Instagram page for the baby. Oh, and oh and <laughs> it has about probably five or 6,000 uh, 6, followers. And wow. it's just... This baby was met with some, all sorts of like help. She was met with aid. She was what? like, oh, of course, like this can't happen to you. And da 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 da, da And just so much sympathy mm. for her. And it was just so unusual to what most of the black girls in my classes and in my family even experienced. Just this, like, overwhelming sense from random people, not even family. It was just these random people being like, wow, you're brave. You're so strong. You know, I know this was an accident, but she's a Mm. gift from God versus, (laughs) oh, of course, of course it's going to happen. Like, it's just so insane to me how different this is and how instilled this is I would say in places that do have high rates of teen pregnancy that it is okay when a white girl does it but it is not when a black girl does it and I honestly think part of the reason this is is 
back to a term that Debbie used earlier in the podcast, massage noir. It, it really, for those that don't know, it is a coin termed by Moya Bailey, and it means the innate hatred of black women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like misogyny, but it focuses on black women. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that this term just truly encapsulates what's kind of happening here, yes. especially when it revolves teen pregnancy. Mm. Agreed, agreed. Because you have these new waves of feminism that are talking about like uh, reproductive justice, like mm-hmm. contraceptives, things like that. But like yes. these resources aren't being given to the demographic that's being the most effective. Yes. Like all of this education is going towards like white girls, white women, but not it's not intersectional. Yeah. Right? I completely agree. Yes, yes. I wanted to bring in this book that I had read called The Sisters Are All Right, which is basically centered around breaking this broken narrative around African-American women, um, com- like dismantling those stereotypes. And she has this, the author, uh, Tamara Winfrey Harris, she has this mm-hmm. chapter discussing sex and teen pregnancy. And so in this, she says that the pregnancy rate amongst black women has decreased by 56% between 1990 and 2010. However, black women are still subject to negative stereotypes mm-hmm. about being extra promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. think this is like one of our main points that like even though we even though pregnancy teen pregnancy is on the decline there's still the all of these harmful stereotypes towards young black women and black teen pregnancy specifically right like the term jezebel Mm -hmm. that has been used a lot that covers promiscuous women it's been given to teen teen mothers and i think that's just Mm -hmm. it's just sick and uh in the book she includes this example where you have a quote from Bill O'Reilly where he's talking about Beyonce's um, sexual like song lyrics and music videos, mm-hmm. and he says that she like he like questions why she puts this sort of content out, and she says that she knows that young girls are getting pregnant in the African American community. Kind of like he's blaming Beyonce, yeah. blaming a singer for yeah. an issue that is not a black woman's issue. It's an issue with the system, I think, and yes. that's something that you know bill o'reilly is really just looking for someone to blame here when it's the fault of the system it's the fault of the lack of sex education it's the fault of you know um impoverished areas not having solid education systems it's the fault of just the government Mm -hmm. and just and it's the fault of these stereotypes that bill o'reilly is uh, like using now it's again like massage noir because you have um like white superstars also doing the same thing but right. the issue of like pregnancy like teen motherhood that doesn't come up when they're when um they're promoting this sort of content yeah yeah like yeah. Katy perry and madonna exactly yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they both like madonna really <laughs> Katy perry has a like video where she's literally naked on like a cloud or something i forget i remember i saw that <laughs> teenage so dream yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and she like... and like last friday night she's talking about hooking up with men and wow. um She's not even remembering last Friday night, and it's <laughs> something that's been played on the radio for years. Yeah, the stereotypes just aren't there. Right? Yeah, like the generalizations when that sort of content. And is I out. think a lot of times, and this was, you know, I listened to a podcast recently about this, talking about Megan Thee Stallion's and Cardi B's WAP, um, <laughs> and um, something I they made a good point, and I feel like fits in here, is that white women are not being faulted for any issues in the white community Mm. um or just any issues at all or being put Mm. to blame um and there's a it's 
you know, kind of similar to feminism without intersectionality. Yes. It's these white women are being told, like, congrats, yay, you are promoting, you know, a healthy sexuality yeah, when they are... liberation. Right, mm-hmm. liberation versus when a black artist, black woman artist does it, they're told the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to talk about one other podcast I listened to. It's called Inner Ho Uprising. It's mm-hmm. um, hosted by lots of, like, black queer women, and they talk specifically about, like, sex and dating and things like that. Mm-hmm. But one episode I listened to was about one of the hosts who was a pregnant black teen. And so her main thing was that she didn't even – she could not even fathom the possibility of being pregnant because of the lack of sex education that she had received. Like, she didn't mm. think, like, I remember she was literally, like, six months along, and, like, she could she didn't have an appetite. Like, she, yeah. I don't know if she was showing, she was showing a little bit, but, like, she, st- like, her mom was like, you're probably pregnant. She's like, no, like, it's not possible. Yeah. And, like, it just goes to show that, like, when you have this sort of, when you have these circumstances, like, it's, it's not, like, it's not, un- like, unexpected that, young black girls are um being forced into these situations and on top of that when she was pregnant um at her high school like she received no accommodations no help from her teachers or anything which is one of the main reasons why like you have such a high percentage of um teen moms like dropping out of high school not getting education because they're not receiving the help like how can Mm -hmm. you expect them to stay yeah i completely agree so in my high school i know i just talked a little bit about and teen pregnancy where i'm from we actually have a daycare right across the street from our high school and that was um we had a mayor who felt like that was an important asset to have um but another issue is just how expensive it is oh Um, yeah it's not covered by insurance um most people work and especially if you are looking at like working class families people they need to work in order to sustain themselves you can't take you know all this time off school and yes like GED is always an option but it's just so different from high school the Mm -hmm. GED exam is something that you have to study for it takes time Mm -hmm. it's not the same of what you've just spent your last 12 years learning exactly and I think with just like I know my high school had a there's two high schools in my county and the city school did not have a daycare but they had higher rate of teen pregnancy than my high school did and we did have one and that was solely because of space but yeah. still it's just an issue of you know is there a building across the street is there space across the street where is the high school located at is there someone who can run the daycare is it affordable for these teen moms to drop off their kids is it affordable for the teachers to take their kids because you can't just have you know three or four kids in a daycare class so are the teachers going to also contribute to you know having their kids there even if they're not you know a teen mom and uh-huh. i think that that issue is just makes it that much harder for yeah. girls to graduate like it, it's all the all of these things just reinforce the cycle that teen moms are in because which is which is why like it's likely that like if you're a teen mom then your child will also probably if she's a girl will also probably become pregnant as a teen and yeah. it's like especially in areas where there's it's low income like in atlanta like the center of atlanta like mm-hmm. it's very very hard to break that cycle yes yeah i even think that a point to further make about that is um this cycle that's been in place has kind of just affected um i think the understanding of people who do not come from that cycle and it further increases the stereotypes of well i don't understand it so therefore it's wrong and that's an issue we've been having in america for a long time oh, of yeah. just 
I don't understand you. I don't understand your culture. So therefore it's wrong, bad, negative, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the way to think about mm-hmm. things. No, no, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a point, um, this weekend, actually, I was talking with one of my, one of my best friends, um, she's white but her grandmother had her mom and and her sister so her aunt and her mom both were born as teens and then her aunt has one daughter who she had when she was a teen and then like my friend her mom had her when she was a teen and so when i have conversations with her about that it's obviously she's very understanding and she gets what that's like and um fortunately like they they didn't experience a whole lot of this like they all everything kind of ended up working out for them for a bunch of different reasons but um like just when you're looking at the stereotype i think that Mm -hmm. what we're saying is that uh, when you have people who have been influenced then they're much more receptive and understanding and supportive but unfortunately there's a lot of people who aren't and then how do you handle people who who simply don't understand and not in a confrontational sense or like you're wrong but how can you educate people i think that's one other issue um, when we're discussing this topic is being able to share perspective with someone who hasn't shared experiences. Yeah. yeah and I also think that was kind of the point that, uh, Navinka was making about, um, just this like cycle and the education. Mm-hmm. Um, my family, it was the same way. And the only thing that stopped my parents from not having me at 16 was the fact that they got married four times before they met each other (laughs) and that slowed them down. Um, and (laughs) that's truthfully the only thing that stopped them. But still it's like when I look back at my grandmother and I'll be the first to call her out, like she has flaws. Everyone has flaws, but Mm -hmm. she is a very judgy old white lady. (laughs) Um, and I think her issue is her education. Mm -hmm. You know, she is, maybe embarrassed or insecure at the fact that you know she did it took her a minute to finish high school because she had a kid at 14 and Mm -hmm. she had to go back and it was just that was embarrassing to her and um that just was something that like truthfully embarrassed her and she decided to go back and um she's almost envious or just hateful when people now are following in either her mistakes or doing something that she did better. Um, and I know an option that another issue is the adoption system in the foster care mm. system. It's completely just fucked up. Um, it is, it is my mother so was adopted. She was, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my mom was too. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was actually her, both of her biological parents had her at 12. Uh, oh 12 and 14. Yeah. 12 and, and 14. Um, God, it was, <laughs> insane and that was just something that she was adopted by an older family but still like i mean that was an option for white babies was yeah hey let's get adopted but if you're a child of color like there may not be a family especially at that time and mm-hmm. even now there's so many issues with the foster care system yes. um and i know it's like a generational thing like we're seeing it in white families too but like there's obviously there's definitely clear differences in the circumstances that like black generations of like teen pregnant teen pregnant moms and like generations of white teen pregnant moms have mm-hmm. like you have in white families you have like all the like entire families like coming together supporting them like the kids getting baptized probably and they're like they're being supported <laughs> by like everybody but in, in these black families like you uh, if it's like a single black mom um she's working like she's trying to take care of the kid and then like the kid's not going to like probably like a great school and so like they're stuck and they're faced with they they're 
they're dealing with teen pregnancy, but they're also dealing with so many other, like, things being stacked against them, you know? Yes. That, that reminds me, because um, I, I also have a personal story. So I'm, I'm, I'm half black, so on my dad's, my father's side, my cousin uh, got pregnant at 19, and she lives in New York. Um, she tells me about her struggles uh, raising a child by herself, because, yeah. you know, the baby father is mm. not, in the, not in their life at all. Um, but, um, so yeah, she tells me about the struggle she faces and she doesn't even have a job. Like she, it's so hard for her to work because she has to take care of her little toddler. So it's just, it just, and like, she's facing a lot of, a lot of judgment from my family, um, my Jamaican family. Like they're so, they're very, very, very judgmental against Mm. her. They like kind of like excommunicate her from like the family or whatever. But like, I'm, I, I try to always like be there and support her, but like, yeah, it's it's tough for black teen women. Yeah, so it's not like the same sort of like familial support, and also like mm-hmm. since they also don't have the right resources to stay in school, once they drop out of high school, like it's that much harder to get a yes. job. Like yes, it makes it so much harder. But it begs the question: What can be done about this? Exactly. Um, I really just you know, it, we do need to keep having these hard hitting conversations. But mm-hmm. what can be done? in you know the government what can be done with you know an increase in sexual liberation or sexual health or sexual rights you know because our reproductive rights is a whole different issue in america at this time (laughs) but what do you think that would be like a solid course of action to kind of you know change the narrative of this is not a black issue but this is an america issue this is an issue that our government is having and just these racist beliefs that we've had with yes. the welfare queen stereotype we've talked about, the Jezebel stereotype we've talked about, massage noir. Yes. Why is that an issue that we're having? Yeah, I think there's there's really two separate, and you kind of just hit on it, there's two separate issues that we have to fix. The, the first one is teen pregnancy as a whole and looking at all of the things that come with that and being able to provide support. And I want to I wanna get into that a little bit too. But then I think another thing that, that we've tried to talk about a little bit is focusing on the stereotype between the differences um, of the culture that you live in and the environment that you are and, and what race you may be when you do find yourself um, pregnant as a teen. Um, mm-hmm. So looking at teen pregnancy, uh, th- there's really two things that that strike my mind first. And we've kind of talked about both of them a little bit already, but the first one's education. And I think that mm-hmm. um, education as a whole is never bad. Um, so just overall, but I, I think that also being able to provide more quality sex ed in schools, I think that'd be a great step because, um, you know, we talked about how um, currently uh, most of what is being taught is just to not have sex. And I think that as time goes on and the world changes, I think that that is just not realistic, not Not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I think that um, being able to take um, different regions within Georgia, but then within the country, um, and being able to not standardize, but, um, improve the quality of sex education. So being able to say, Hey, like if this is something you want to do, um, you know, understanding this is the safe way to do it, um, for, for preventing STDs and SCIs. And then this is, um, you know, all the different forms of birth control you can use, and this Mm -hmm. is the right way to use it. And Mm -hmm. this is how you can gain resources and how you can pay for it. And all these things are in place. Exactly. Okay, so the, the other um, idea that I, I kind of wanted to discuss was looking at um, some of these more complicated and frustrating issues, um, you know, like within the government and the resources that they can provide. Um, I think that 
that's a that's a conversation looking at like funding and looking at support from politicians and leaders um, that is lacking. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think something even to be said about the government's role in this issue is going back to a point I made earlier of when Ronald Reagan was running for president and doing this war on the economy, he really, really drove home the stereotype of welfare queen. Yeah. He really hurt teen mothers, specifically African-American teen mothers, by driving home this point and portraying this image and talking about, you know, showing pictures. He portrayed women, African-American mothers, um, as this welfare queen and committing welfare fraud. And I think the government or the media or someone just needs to really go in and clean up that image because it is still a stereotype out there today, even though the term welfare queen has really not been used in recent times, Mm -hmm. but this idea is really instilled. So some of the key takeaways I really feel um, we've gotten from this podcast have really just been (laughs) how important this conversation is to have. I mean, I really feel closer to all of my co-hosts here with me just <laughs> just from a simple conversation about teen pregnancy, and I hope that you feel closer to us also. Um, and it's just, this conversation should happen every day. I mean, we need to continue these hard-hitting questions of why is there a different reaction when different mothers are doing what's best for their kid? Why is there a stigma surrounding, you know, childcare and contraceptives and what can be done about this you know is this a conversation that we need to have with each other or is this a conversation that the government needs to have with itself and i know that no one from the government is listening to this podcast (laughs) but still i mean it's just it's frustrating to just kind of see this and you know do research and talk to people and from every way you look at it like this is an issue that needs to be fixed with the community just talking about massage noir the stereotypes that are being promoted in the media, and then the greater issue of what can the government do about it to kind of close these gaps. Okay, thank you so much for listening, y'all. We really hope you enjoyed tuning in with us today. Yes, we hope you learned a lot. Um, Thank you for listening, and we hope that you take this information with you going forward. Yeah, and until next time, I'm Kylie. I'm Debbie. I'm Navinka. And I'm Preston. If you like this podcast, make sure to check out our others at www.onthespot.com. We hope you all tune in to next week's episode, but until then, have a great week.